Hello, ladies and gentlemen. I'd like to take this moment to say thank you for listening to the Real Rescue Podcast. It means a lot to me that you enjoy these stories as much as I do. Since the start of this podcast, we've had a lot of support from all over the world. It has been amazing. Now, we have companies joining our team that also want to say thank you for all that you are doing out there standing the watch. These companies are offering discounts on their products as a way to support the rescue community and those tuning into the Real Rescue Podcast. Just go to therealrescue.com, click on Sponsors, and see these incredible offers for yourself. This episode of the Real Rescue Podcast is brought to you by Breeze Eastern, the world's only dedicated helicopter hoist and winch provider. Axness, because when lives are at stake and conditions are challenging, Clear communication is of the utmost importance. SR3 Rescue Concepts, because you don't know what you don't know. And Airwave, the Airwave Performance Mouthpiece, helping you to use breathing to your advantage. Breeze Eastern, they dedicate themselves to our helicopter rescue world. Since the very first helicopter rescue in November of 1945, Breeze Eastern has designed and manufactured superior rescue hoist solutions. While much of the technology and the unique mission requirements have changed over the past 75 years, their commitment to the rescuers, the operators, and those being rescued has not. Contact them today by visiting them at breeze-eastern.com. The Axness PNG Wireless ICS System can bring cutting-edge wireless intercommunication system technology to any aircraft. The PNG system can be fully integrated into an existing ICS system or can be carried on and off as a mobile base station. They can go anywhere, at any time, on any aircraft. Plus, with the strongest and most robust waterproof handheld on the market, this system can take a hit and keep working. Their wireless intercom systems are designed to enhance situational awareness through improved communication capability. This system brings superior noise-canceling technology to eliminate rotor wash and engine noise from your ICS. The Axness PNG wireless system is currently deployed in more than 1,800 public safety, air ambulance, and search and rescue aircrafts worldwide. I have personally used the Axness system in four different countries and on five different airframes. It is awesome. If you want more information, contact them today at axness.com. That's A-X-N-E-S dot com. You just make sure you tell them Quinny sent me. SR3 Rescue Concepts is a training company that can help your helicopter training. They train daytime, nighttime, aerial firefighting, hoist, longline, fast rope, rappel, and more. They can assist your program with standardization and safety checks or just an FAA annual refresher. With a certified flight instructor pilots and experienced crew, they are ready to help your agency keep up to date with current techniques, rules, regulations, and equipment. Plus, right now, SR3 is offering 10% off anything in their web store with the promo code, all capital letters, REALRESCUE, R-E-A-L-R-E-S-Q. Plus, they are offering another 10% from their partners, Petzl, and their equipment, all you got to do is send an email to info at sr3rescueconcepts.com. Mention this podcast and they'll take care of the rest. And Airwave. What if I told you that you could train harder for longer 
and recover faster just by wearing a mouthpiece. I know, I questioned it too. Then I gave it a try. The Airwave Performance Mouthpiece is a breakthrough in performance technology that is scientifically proven with over 15 years of peer-reviewed published research at the Citadel to open your airway by 25% for improved breathing, resulting in a 20% decrease in respiratory rate, an increase in muscular endurance, and 50% reduction in cortisol levels post-workout. Now, what does this mean to me? Well, now I'm able to train harder, recover faster, and be even more prepared for when that SAR alarm goes off. You don't need to take my word for it. Try it yourself and see how you can use your breathing to your advantage. Go to airwave.com or visit them on Instagram at airwave to learn more about it. Then, when you're ready to give it a try, because you heard about it here at The Real Rescue, you get 10% off with the promotion code Real Rescue, R-E-A-L-R-E-S-Q. Coming up next, we've got a guy from Ireland joining us. And what he's doing now is he ended up going to the UK, London specifically, and worked with the Royal National Lifeboat Institution. So the RNLI. And he's got some stories that come right out of the Thames River in London. So please welcome Mr. Steve Doherty. My name is Jason Quinn. I am United States Coast Guard Rescue Swimmer number 500. These are my rescues and rescues from those of us that put our lives on the line every day so others may live. This is The Real Rescue Podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Real Rescue Podcast. Uh, today, I've got another Irishman. He's coming to us with some amazing stories that I'm, I'm very excited. As a matter of fact, not just like one, we're going to talk about like five or six. Like first Absolutely. one, and then all the rest. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, Mr. <laughs> Steve Doherty. What's up, brother? How are hey. you? Hey, good, Jason. Thank you very much. Great to uh, great to finally meet you and great to finally get this, get this off the ground. Thank no, you I... for having me. It's great. Oh, my pleasure. You know, it's kind of funny. I actually went back through some of our conversations and stuff, and you and I have been like chatting back and forth for like a year. And yeah, yeah, it must yeah. be at least. Yeah, because <laughs> we were going to plan it last May, weren't we? And then yeah. I got I got a bit snowed under with stuff, and then obviously the year, before you know it, the year runs away with you. Yeah, and then it was like, hey, yeah, you still want to do it? Yeah, yeah. Are you still yeah. good? Yeah. yeah. All right. Yeah. <laughs> Where have you been, my friend? Where have you been? You know, hey, it, it, life happens. I get it. It's that's it, me too. So, you know. I know, man. I know. I know. Here we are. <laughs> Here we are. Here we are. Well, I, I'll tell you what, man, if you don't mind, um, just a little introduction yeah. about you, like who you are, because yeah. you're actually working all over and you do a lot in search and rescue. You're like on the boat, on the helicopter, you, you're a paramedic, you, you do a lot. So how did all this start for you? What, what, where do the, we begin? Uh, the, that classic saying, uh, master of, or jack of all, master of none. Perfect. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, well, so basically, um, my name's Steve Doherty. Um, I was born and raised in the northwest corner of uh, Ireland um, in Donegal. Um, not too far from uh, Sligo. I know you've had a couple of uh, winter power makes from 118, so I'm probably about uh, two hours away from there, right on the very northern northern coast. Um, yeah, um, so 
it all sort of started for me really from a very young age. I had this sort of vivid obsession and passion for um, lifeboats. And I don't really know where it stems from. I think it basically stems from growing up on the water, growing up on boats, growing up bimbling about in canoes and sailing boats and never actually needed the lifeboats because I always managed to get myself out of every pickle that I ended up in. But um, <laughs> but yeah, I think that's where, that's where it all stems from, really. Um, I think there was one key event when I was um, 14. Um, yeah, so basically um, where my home house is, it's on the beach, effectively. And it's quite, it's a shingle beach and it's a tidal creek um, and sort of we're a mile up into the creek from the actual lock itself, okay. um, a tidal lock. Um, at the end of the creek, there's a, a marina um, or harbour um, whereby we had like a family boat, a family yacht. And, family um, yacht? How big? How big? Well, no, that's not, but no, come uh-huh. on. <laughs> you said oh, it, not me, dude. <laughs> that's because okay. I was listening to the yacht. Yeah. When I say yacht, I say a sailboat. Yeah. So we're talking a, a 25. Yeah. <laughs> Pretty much a topper. Just, yeah. Got uh, it, got oh, it. God, that sounds terrible. <laughs> yeah, cigars at 13. Yeah, it's all great, man. Um, so. It was a sail, a twenty-five foot sail, but you got me conscious now about this yacht. Man, <laughs> uh, <laughs> well, man, I like it. I like no, it. No, no, I'm just playing. Go in hard. Go in. Yeah, that's good. That's good. Yeah. Like um, <laughs> so yeah, um, we had this twenty-five foot sailboat, and um, it was just new at the time. And my cousins, this is a very long way to story. It's basically, my cousins came down from a part of Ireland, uh, from Dublin, to visit, and they were eight and six I recall at the time and uh it wouldn't be uncommon for me to walk um across the beach to the marina just to go and maybe wash a boat or do whatever but this one particular day um I took my cousins across to show them boat just because we could and we were allowed to so off we trotted so went over had a look on the way back obviously having grown up in that area I had quite good sort of tidal knowledge had quite good topography knowledge and you like don't go there because that's quicksand, glar, sandbank there. Just your, your general sort of awareness. And I remember walking back with my cousins and I could see this guy out on a, a sandbar. I was like, ah, we're, we're at that. It's a flood tide. This is going to be entertaining. Um, <laughs> and I had my cousins with me. We were obviously were kids at the time and I was just a teenager. And uh he started to sort of, he got to the end of the sandbar, realized, oh no, tides come in. He sort of went 90 degrees to where he was walking and he just walked straight into Glar, quicksand, and got stuck. Um, and he got stuck probably immediately up to sort of mid femurs. <laughs> At this point, I was like, okay, we need to get this guy some help. So I was acutely aware, obviously, I'm not going to put myself in that danger and I'm certainly not going to risk the safety of my cousins but at 14 i was like you know you fairly quickly go into a state of frazzle yeah and i remember i had a, I had a mobile phone at the time it was one of the old nokias like that had the signal of like i don't know a balloon and <laughs> it, no so That's i tried to you like you hold up in like, uh, different angles 
Wait, if I go a little higher, if I twist it just a little bit, I'll get that one bar. <laughs> Stick it on your head for 30 yeah, seconds yeah. and get your signal. Yeah. Uh, so, look, I, w- I went to call the emergency services, 99, no phone signal, nothing. I was like, ah, oh, okay. So, at this point, I knew we were on spring tides. So, it was going to be, I knew we were roughly probably about 20, 30 minutes to play with before he's probably most likely going to drown. He ain't getting out, put it that way, without assistance. Yeah. So <clears throat> that was pretty cool. So I said to my cousins, I was like, look, stay here. Don't move. I'm going to have to run and get some help. So I knew exactly where we were. And obviously, you know your neighbors and you yeah. know your surroundings. So I thought, right, what I'll do initially is run up sort of the bank onto the main road and try and get some phone signal. Lo and behold, still no phone signal. So I thought, right, I'm half a mile from the local marina. And I knew over there, all the guys that are working on the boats and the boatyards, and they would be very easily, they would all pile in because they love a bit of drama. So I was like, right, cool. So I got <laughs> to the road. Do. Everybody loves a bit of drama. <laughs> of course they do. So I get to the top of the road and I think, right, um, I'm just going to have to flag a car down. So the first car that was driving along, now this is rural Ireland, Pretty bad, an arterial road, but it was, it was busy enough. So flagged this car down. And of all cars to get, it was a car full of South African tourists. <laughs> 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 so what they were faced with was casually driving along Ireland, looking at the lovely scenery, having a good chinwag. And there's this overweight ginger Irish bloke waving in the middle of the road, shouting at them to stop. So they've st- <laughs> like, credit to them, they've stopped. So I've given him like a 30 second brief. Hello, this is what's happening down there. I need you to go over here to this marina, give him a sort of a general idea of where to go. Take the third road on your left over a bridge down to the, the boatyard. And I said, tell them to get a rope, to get a tractor and to get as many people as they can to come across because there's someone stuck in the mud and the tide's coming in. So they went, yeah, no worries. They left. I thought, well, if this comes off, like that was pretty good 30 second brief. Like, fair enough. I'll take that one. And uh, that was fine. They broke it off. So I ran back down, checked with my cousins and they were just sat on a rock, good as gold. I went, look, whatever you do, do not go down towards him. He may shout for help. Just let him be. Help's coming. So I ran across the beach again, 10 neighbor. Um, he won't mind me mentioning Norman Walsh what was, was his name and he was a local canoeist I remember thinking well if we got a canoe we could get out to him it's only mud like, at least he could hold on to the canoe until like I don't know someone gets to him we get him, get him rescued yeah. so Norman was great he grabbed his canoe grabbed a line as well a bit of warp a rope and came down and by the time me and Norman had got back to the scene in the distance, we could see a John Deere tractor coming, absolutely sending it across the beach, barreling black smoke, and a load of guys running with shovels and all sorts of... So it was a bit like an invasion of the Vikings, really. It was quite impressive. And uh, lo and behold, um, obviously, the tourists or the guys at the harbour called for assistance. So the local lifeboat was tasked, both inshore and um, offshore lifeboats and the local rescue helicopter from Sligo was also tasked. So, um, cut a long story short, we managed to get a line out to him around his waist. Um, and all of us, along with the tractor, 
we managed to hike them out. And uh, yeah, we got them out. Probably the water was up to his sort of mid chest by the time he was out. So yeah, lucky, very lucky escape. Um, and I was 14 at the time. See so a picture, a young 14 year old. That was it. The light, the switch had gone. I was interested in absolutely nothing else in this world apart from rescue. <laughs> that was it. I've done oh nothing, nothing, God. nothing really mattered at that point for me. So that that single day and that single event, seeing everything sort of interlock, combine together to achieve an objective as a massive team effort, um, just made a lot of sense. Um, it was very rewarding, and that was it. And I, yeah, education, <laughs> goodbye. That was irrelevant. <laughs> like yeah, times tables. Like great if you're the, if you're a pilot sitting up front. Yeah, <laughs> all right, but. For me, it didn't really have any, um, I didn't have any interest in anything after that. So my whole drive and passion and focus was to become a rescue operative of, of some description and particularly um, uh, to be a winchman. Wow. So from there, every, every, every career decision, uh, maybe right, maybe wrong, was based um, on that goal. So I'm still striving towards it, but that, that is how it all sort of... Um, uh, started for me so as a first rescue obviously that was I wasn't even in I was only a teenager at the time so I could argue say it was a rescue before I was even in the rescue services so that but, yeah. uh yeah yeah you, you know I'm a I'm count that yep yep life safe check yeah, cheers man cheers yeah <laughs> <laughs> that's that's yeah. excellent like yeah good fun good fun yeah what a way to get I started you, though like you're like oh yeah. oh man I like this I want to do this again <laughs> I do think for 14, it wasn't too bad. No. I give myself a tap in the back now, looking back, because if you had to do it now, I wouldn't have done anything differently. Apart from probably taking my cousins with me. But yeah, yeah. Ah. hindsight's 2020 yeah. vision. So. Ah, leave them there. Let them get, you know, just keep an eye on somebody, you know. Exactly. Reassure them. Reassure That's right. Them. Your job is to was, watch him. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, because he ain't going anywhere. Let's face yeah. it, but he might. <laughs> Um, but the funny thing was from that, um, and it was a, it was a sort of a real cruel awakening into the real world as a teenager, sort of developing into this young sort of uh, man. Um, the individual was actually a neighbour who I didn't really know, but lived in the same sort of row of houses. Yeah, and uh, it, like from that, as soon as he was rescued, he just disappeared. Never heard from him, never spoke to him, never seen him since. And like he oh, knew who wow. we were. Yeah. So wow. it, it, yeah. And that was kind of a real sort of uh, yeah, real eye opener as a young man to think, bloody hell, is this what the world's really like? Yeah. Yeah, it was quite wow. <laughs> like, like, here, mate, here's a here's a bag of crisps. Anything, do you know? What I mean? <laughs> but not that you do it for that, but I just thought as a young man, you think bloody hell. Yeah, yeah whatever. Yeah, it's a, you know what? You Good learn times. from a young age. It's very rare that we ever get to see the people we rescue. So, if you exactly. get to, if you get to meet him again, it's like, wow, this guy. Oh, mate, he's buying. Te- he's buying me ten pints. No, it's ten pints, mate. <laughs> but with oh, interest yeah. now. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> that's coming oh, up ten years. Well, more than ten years ago. Yeah. Oh, that's hilarious! Nice. Right, well done. Um. All right. So now, once you get 
like into the this the world of rescue now you end mm. up on a like a rescue boat is that like your next step yeah so pretty much so obviously after that sort of continued on with like my education or whatever in the local area but um i was trying to queue up exactly what direction i was going to go and um i was quite fortunate actually i know these guys a lot but the local lifeboat at Luxwilly, um, I sort of lived a bit too far away to join it. I was just a wee bit too far out of the sort of the catchment area or, or a, a, an adequate sort of response time to get to the boat if there was a call out. But they sort of wavered that and they sort of thought, oh, well, he clearly has got, he's got a love and drive and passion for it. So they allowed me to, to join. And um, yeah, so joined when I was... 17 so you have to you can join at 17 with your parents permission nice so go mom were, and dad yeah fair <laughs> play. they weren't gonna stop me i'd have forged it anyway <laughs> we won't tell them all right well, no, that'll no, be no, our no. little secret <laughs> absolutely absolutely so yeah so joined oh, their permission and from there they just um took off basically so at 17 in ireland you're still in sort of what's known as secondary school I don't know what that would be in America, sort of high school, maybe. Yeah, high school. Um, so I uh, I had a pager, so I had a lifeboat pager. I used to take it to school with me. I should never have been allowed. Never have been allowed. Never. But I was like, well, if I'm, in, if I'm at the school, I'm literally like less than five minutes away from the boat if there's a call out. So like, lo and behold. I will be going. <laughs> <laughs> I gotta so, go. This is an emergency. Yeah, 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 well, that's when you want to get out of a test or something. You're like, hey, just call me, page me out of this time. I don't care if it's real or not. Just kidding. We would funny, never do that. Education number no, no. one. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that's for my wife, by the way, who's the teacher. Just so you know. Oh, okay. Right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, just yeah. saying. Yeah. You know? <laughs> I'm not going to get into that one. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, um, so yeah, I was 17, had the pager, and lo and behold, my first actual call out um, with that boat and with the service, as in the Royal National Lifeboat, it's just near on a lie, um, was I was at school, and lo and behold, the, the pager activated, and ciao adios, I'm out of here. I can't remember what class I was in, but I remember the whole room looking at me thinking, what is going on here? So yeah, off, just, I just, I'd left the books and the table, just got up, walked out <laughs> and um, went on this call out. <laughs> oh yeah. I don't think you'd get away with it now, but back no. then, I think the, the teacher- I know, I wouldn't have gotten away with it. No, I, I think the teacher- teacher taking the lesson was he was cool he was cool he was like yeah he, he knew exactly what was going on he was like yeah off you go they died like i've sat there clearly with no interest anyway so all of a sudden my eyes lit up yeah and uh yeah so that was my first call out um it was quite a long one it was quite a long extended duration search actually um within that area uh of the lock and uh yeah it was quite a sad story actually um it turned into be a recovery job in the, ah. in the end up. Um, so yeah, it's for your first one. It was quite good. Obviously, you're in at the deep end. There's a lot of um, you're doing a lot of learning. You're putting all your sort of initial training into practice. And um, yeah, it was a long search, long day, 
up, up on the foredeck of a lifeboat getting soaked with binoculars and pretty relatively decent sea state. And then at the bottom of a tide, um, we, we located um, the individual a significant distance away from the last known or reported position. Yeah. Um, but the, <clears throat> the search coordinates and search plan was within, it was, it was good coordination because we actually located them. Um, so that was the first one. So remember, remember it vividly. Remember all the guys that were on board. Um, that's your first one, isn't it? It was my first um, call out as your first retrieval. So you'll never, you'll never really forget those two. Yeah. Um, so it was nice to get that. Well, it's not nice by no means, like uh, God rest the individual, but to get the first two out of the way, sort of two ticks and one sort of cognitively from there, you can process it and makes everything moving forward a bit easier, doesn't it? So yeah, yeah. that was my uh, introduction to life in sort of the rescue arena, so to speak. You know, it's yeah. it's funny, like you went, did you say 14 years old for the guy that was stuck in the mud, right? Yeah. And now you're 17 years old, it's a couple of years later, and now you're dealing with pulling a, a dead person. Yeah. Yeah, you know out of the water and, and wow yeah. that's like one extreme to the next very quickly so absolutely yeah absolutely and i think from that in that on that station at loxwally we had a couple of um pretty good rescues with required sort of meaningful interventions to to um patients and i've quite realized quite quickly that um the the treatment and medical side of stuff was i found it relatively easy effect I find it made a lot of sense. Um, I, I could understand why we do certain things and anatomy and physiology just sort of stuck really. And that nice. sort of led me into um, driving the path down towards becoming um, a paramedic. Um, and so in Ireland, at the time, it was quite difficult um, to get into the, to the National Ambulance Service of Ireland. Uh, and I wasn't one for waiting around. I was like, life short <laughs> um, <laughs> I, and I took a risk and I moved to uh, to England um, and joined the ambulance service um, in the east of England actually and um, started to train as like, initially as a, an EMT and then working my way up then to eventually um, become a registered state paramedic which is good. Wow. Now yeah. it, let me back up just a little bit because did you start studying your paramedic and medicine stuff in Ireland or when you got into uh London? When I got when I got into England. England, sorry, England. Yeah. Yeah. Got so it. um trained with the, the National Health Service there as, as part nice. of an ambulance service, like in the house sort of um training course. So it was sort of like uh earn as you learn effectively. So you're working shifts, but you're also doing your 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 modules and your studying and stuff like that. So it was quite it was very appealing. Um, wow. So I was trying to juggle that along with trying to continue doing my lifeboat stuff in England. So doing it with various couple of stations over there. Um, so it was quite a challenge. You know, it was busy time of my life, but looking back, it was very rewarding. Um, the information overload, put it that way. <laughs> oh yeah yeah, yeah you, don't, you, don't, you don't know you don't know so yeah you don't and then all of a sudden yeah. you when you start getting you're like oh my gosh it, this is yeah. so much information um yeah actually while you were in london this is kind of why you and i connected because you have some interesting you got on the lifeboat uh there while you were in london mm. as well right yeah 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 that this is where like our conversation started because 
I, I see this video of you guys like running underneath some of the bridges and, and in the, the small yeah. tight canal areas. And I'm like, what the hell? So yeah. how did that, how did that yeah. like intertwine? Uh, so honestly, um, so the Thames in London is, I cannot describe it. It's absolute carnage. <laughs> it is absolute mayhem. <laughs> um, so I'll give you a bit of background into the station. So I was, I'm stationed at Tower Lifeboat Station um, in central London. Um, and we're based um, bang slap in the middle of London uh, by Waterloo Bridge in the, the district of um, Westminster. Um, so when um, the Order of Life as a charity um, it has got a couple of, I say it's got a couple, it's got 238 lifeboat stations across the UK and Ireland. Wow. Um, with 450 lifeboats, may that be inshore lifeboats or offshore all-weather lifeboats, as we're known as. And it's got 6,000 um, operational seagoing volunteers from all the from walks of life, just like we spoke about myself in school. They activate by a pager, they come, they crew the boats, they go to sea, conduct rescues, come home. So it's quite an impressive charity, and it works in conjunction with His Majesty's Coast Guard, works with Irish Coast Guard in Ireland. So they've also got rescue boats, um, the aircraft. So an interlinks is a quite a key asset for both UK and Ireland. Um, but in, the, in London itself, we've got four stations on the River Thames. So the Thames is tidal. Not many people know that. Um, it's got a seven meter tidal range. Um, and the I'm four sorry, stations- Seven meter tidal range? Yeah. Yeah, wow. so it's got a seven meter tidal range. So you can picture the volume of water running up and down that river. It runs. Oh, yeah. It, how, any idea how tides. many knots it's going? So it's very difficult. So if you're on springs or neaps, it varies, obviously. But then yeah. it also depends on the flow weight of the river because it's a river. So if you've yeah. had significant rainfall, that flow weight's increased. So the maximum I ever seen it was round about five and a half, six knots. Wow. And that. That was pretty impressive to see that volume of water moving through central London um, and it affects significantly the performance of the, the rescue asset on the, the day of that, that significant flow rate was, was pumping through. So um, the reason they come about was because in eight, uh, sorry, 1989, uh, in August, there was a passenger boat called the Marchioness. So it's a bit of a, a a party boat so to speak um and unfortunately it had a collision with a, a large dredger called the bow bell um between sort of london bridge and cannon street raid bridge um and unfortunately quite tragic 50 um 51 people drowned um from that collision um the oh, boat wow. was the boat was t-boned it capsized and there was it, the people on board were effectively um, flung into the river. Um, as soon as it capsized, the, the coach roof was ripped off it. And yeah, it's a really tragic event, really tragic event that should was completely avoidable. Um, and from there, um, Lord, a guy called Lord Justice Clark, um, he conducted a, an inquiry, uh, the Thames Safety Inquiry, which is uh, available online. And sort of the recommendations from that safety inquiry, um, you can read yourself, but there was loads of stuff to do with navigation on the Thames. There's loads of stuff to do with um, watch keeping. Um, and also one of the findings was 
there was um there was there there was search and rescue assets on the Thames. Um, there was declared declared assets, but there was no designated search and rescue asset. So there was the London Fire Brigade and the Met Police had boats on the river. But as you and quite clearly from the titles, their sole objective for the fire is firefighting yeah. and the police is protection. So to have a declared, uh, a designated, sorry, a search and rescue asset was was required. So um, it initially um, offered up to the fire brigade, um, but they didn't they didn't take it. And the RNLI, the Royal National Lifeboat Institution, as a charity, seen a massive opening here, and they swooped in and put four stations on the Thames and went live on the 2nd of January, 2002. And uh, yeah, four stations and they've been going strong ever since. So that is a bit of background into the, the sort of such a tragic event, but such, a, you know, the service that's been put there now has saved. Uh, I don't even know how many people we've saved. It's, it's immeasurable, you know, we're, we're serving 8 million people effectively in the city for a main arterial river um, that gets used every day, like by commercial passenger tourists. Um, and on a busy summer's day in August, we can have up to sort of 250,000 people on that stretch of river um, Jeez, using it oh recreationally. Yeah, yeah, so it's, it, it's, yeah, it's busy. So hence why it's um, Tower Lifeboat Station. Um, we're the busiest search and rescue asset in the UK. So one boat or station we launched 726 times, I think it was last year. Oh my yeah. god. Yeah, so one one lifeboat, one station, 726 times out the door on that's a like, live task. That's that's running like two missions a day. Yeah. Minimum. Yeah. 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 Wow. Yeah, it's oh, impressive. Yeah, that's a lot. So, yeah. So to run that service, um, we have 10 full-time commanders. And then we support that with a team of 50 volunteers. So the service delivery model is a mixture of staff, commanders, and volunteers with a uh, skill mix there as well. Um, so the commanders in the boat, you've got a commander one, commander two, but like your pilot and your co-pilot, your command. Um, so number one. Uh, will command the boat and normally drives the boat. Okay. Um, or it's like a bit of a helm crossover. And number two generally deals with communications, comms, navigation, and will manage the, the crew effectively and what's going on sort of if they have to disembark from the boat. Um, so that is sort of the model. The boat goes to sea with sort of a minimum of three and a maximum of four. And there always has to be a paid commander on board at all times. Okay. Boat. So I was one of the paid commanders on board nice. Tower Lifeboat. Yeah, so I left the ambulance. I was working full-time for the ambulance service, but volunteering for the station as a crew. Um, and the job came up, went for it and took it. And yeah, it all went crazy from there. <laughs> <laughs> ah, that's great. Yeah it's, yeah, it's entertaining, that's for sure. It's definitely entertaining. But it's incredible. It's an incredible job. It's incredibly rewarding. And to, you know, to lead a team of such varied um, backgrounds on board a lifeboat doing quite extraordinary work under circumstances that aren't really seen anywhere in the world 
it's um yeah it's it's really good and we'll go get into some of the stories now and hopefully you'll try and give you and the listeners a better understanding of the the sort of pressures and life on the Thames really well I'll tell you what my friend the uh the floor is yours and you can roll it (laughs) uh so (laughs) so to put it into sort of um perspective of how dangerous the Thames is excuse me it was my first week um on the job effectively so it wasn't my first week on the station but it was my first week in charge um of the team with the boat and uh we get tasked, sort of, we're off, started off on a run of night shifts, which is always, always good. And uh, first job was tasked to the area of London Bridge, and it was given to uh, a female and a dog in the water. So straight away, people in the water for us are like, that is the immediate threat to life. We need to get there and we need to get them out of that threat. I get them out of the water. Hold that thought right there, because uh, there's, a, there's a question and. And I don't know the answer. So this is why I'm asking. What is the temperature of the water? I know it's cold, but what is the temperature of the water, like average out there? Oh, so the, the Thames is very different. The Thames is hard because it's a river and it's fresh water. Um, so it, it varies a lot to do with the rainfall, as I said. But on average, it must be around 8 to 10 degrees. That's cold. That's cold. Yeah, 8 to 10 now degrees. You're talking, uh, um, depending on the time of year. So yeah. uh, off the top of my head, that's about uh, thir- about 40 degrees, between 40 and 45 degrees, somewhere in there. Yeah. Like Fahrenheit. Like that's... Yeah. It's cold. So that's just... So that's just like, is kicking in quick, pretty quick. Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. And obviously it's, it's fresh water. Yeah. So there's less density, so therefore it's less buoyant. Yeah. Um, these individuals who enter the Thames generally enter from a height so therefore you've got the hydroline effect as well um, whenever they do enter because obviously they're going down a fair few meters from these these heights um, so instantaneous sort of injury and involuntary gasp and the drowning process is multiplied significantly quickly um, so I so go back to that. so yeah we're tasked at the area of London Bridge and it was um, a female, a dog in the water, and uh, it a great team, great team of four. It was um, a really solid crew, really experienced crew. And uh, we rock up uh, at the scene, uh, sort of to the south side of the bridge, and you've got Hayes Galleria, as it's known as, quite a famous building. And Hayes Galleria is now called Radar Wharf, which will become apparent. Um, but we could see approximately, I reckon, about it must be 100, 150 people just sort of, you know, giving it the old sort of windmill wave over here type positioning. <laughs> I was like, all right, okay. Hey, Walks guys, like a hey dump- guys, over here. Yeah. Let me wave my arms yeah. as fast as I can. Right here, guys. <laughs> and that's generally what you get on the Thames. You get a lot of onlookers. Now I'm talking on one or two, I'm talking 150 plus. Like half the bridge had stopped to look what was going on, half the embankment had stopped. And I, I've come around and swung around and sort of lined up for an approach and I couldn't really see much. We had torches on, we had visual and someone in the water, but um, we, all we could see was a head. 
um, on the position of the uh, of the embankment was sort of bits of box iron coming out okay. to hold to hold lights so it can light up this historic building. So whenever you're walking on the river, the buildings lit up, but they're hanging out into the river. So I'm looking at that going, right, we've got a threat there. And we're going to have to manage that threat. So I'm looking, right, do I drop the aerials? Do I drop the radar? Well, it's not going to make any difference because of the tidal height. Um, so if I drop them, I'd still have a collision um, with the structure of the lifeboat against the wall if I was to get set in there. Yeah. So I've made, I've made a, fight, a, a nice approach, a brief the crew quickly, and I've said, look, we're going to come in, bow on, going to put the brow on, I'm going to roll around want to get a flotation device in, get a throw bag, and then we'll try and get an immediate rescue going. Get the dog first, because generally, if you leave the dog, people will fight you, and that's it. They, they won't want to be rescued. So I went, look, someone grabbed the dog. There's three forward. I went, he's more than enough hands. Grab the dog. As soon as the dog, she'll be compliant. Lo and behold, someone just grabbed the pooch, threw the pooch in the boat. Pooch is fine. Pooch is running around barking at me like I'd done something wrong. So obviously we couldn't <laughs> hear each other now because this dog's going absolutely pear-shaped in the boat. And so to get this lady on board, she was um she was a nutritional overachiever, shall we say? She was she was a big lady. Large, large, larger Large-y. than I, larger than life. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and to rescue her from the boat from uh, obviously from the water to get her up over the freeboard was going to be a significant lift for the guys um so i thought right we're gonna to have to get a rescue we have to get a strap around her and bring her around to the back of the boat but at that point she started to panic and she started to kick out she started to lash out and she, the guys lost hold of her and she nearly ended up pulling one of them in uh, right okay she's holding on to the chains so she, she's fine we're going to come back and we're going to reapproach. I want you to split the strap, get the strap right now. And what we're going to do, we're going to drag her out, drag her away from the embankment wall. We're going to get a bit of sea space, get a bit of clear air, see clear river, whereby we can take her around to the stern of the boat where we can rescue her a lot easier, manual handling, reduce the risk of injury, etc. Everyone happy? Yeah, fine, no problem. Sort of, I, I remember thinking there's a lot of traffic around me at the minute as on other vessels. I remember seeing a tug and tow seeing a high-speed passenger rib, all carrying trips, so they're all on a time frame, rushing up and down the river. And I remember looking at uh, one of the big river buses passing. I'm thinking, he, he's pushing on a bit. Like, he, he's got the hammers down. And I'm then thinking, oh, there's going to be a wash that comes with this, or a tidal, a, a wash and a surge that comes with him. I thought, right, okay, I'll be aware of that. On my approach, I could see the surge coming and I thought, right, I'm going to have to let her stay there and let this go through. The surge has come through. It's washed her up the wall and it's washed her back down off the wall and she's let go of the chains and now she's starting to drown in front of all these people. Oh my gosh. So I'm like, right, got an immediate threat. Let's get in. So we've gone again. Uh, we've thrown rescue boys to her. We've got a hold of her. But at that point, the rebound of the wash off the wall had rebounded back and it lifted the lifeboat up and we've got set onto the box iron that was holding the lights up. And I, I remember hearing something smash. And then all I remember is about 100 people going, ooh, ooh. And then I looked around and there was just nothing left of the radar arch, 
the aerials, the the mast, it was just gone. <laughs> oh no. Yeah. So it wasn't ideal, but we had managed to get her back aboard the lifeboat. And we thought, look, that's cosmetic. We can repair that. But what we couldn't have done is rescued her if she had gone subsurface and she had drowned yeah. in front of all those people. The reputational risk with that was extortionate. Everyone's there videoing it. Everyone's there taking pictures. So we just had to get in. We just had to commit and just go for it. And we did a lot. We, we did a bit of damage. And yeah, I was at the helm. I was through the boat. So of course, I got the, the nickname Radar and Radar Wharf. <laughs> That came with that. <laughs> oh, that's so, yeah. oh, how Look, the nicknames like fair more. Yeah, they... yeah. Oh, well, here comes to... radar. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. She's in. Yeah, well, she's that... in. Her and the dog were fine, give them a blanket, and then we dropped them off at a look. Well, we handed them to the local ambulance service um, for the once over. She it sounded like she maybe aspirated or whatever, but um, yeah, she was fine. She was discharged and was sent on her merry way. Um, how she ended up in the river, we don't know. We know she didn't fall from height because um, CCTV review confirmed she hadn't come off the bridge. So therefore, we're not risk worried about too much of any significant injury, so to speak. But um, so yeah, sorry, I kind of skipped a bit to at the start of a shift um, on the boat. It's twelve hours. And we do days and nights, okay. so we do twelve hour day shift and twelve hour night shift, and we brief in the morning. So we don't brief anytime we get a task in. We don't sit around and have a conflab about what we're going to and what the roles are going to be because we've got a 90 second lunch time. Oh wow. So, yeah, so life life by the red phone for us is pretty intense, whereby the phone goes, it's the Coast Guard at the other end of the line. And they we have a, a five second conversation as to what we're going to and where we're going. So quite often enough, you lift the phone, tar as then he knows he's rang the right station and he'll go uh, person in the water at London Bridge. That's it. Phone goes down. You've got 90 seconds to get, get going, get going. Wow. So, yeah. So uh, Westminster Bridge um, upriver from the station is about 30 seconds away. Tower Bridge is less than 60 seconds away. And they're the two hotspots. So if you think about it to brief a crew, um, to navigate safely down the river, to get the boat fired up, to get all the comm systems up and running, to update the Coast Guard that you've launched, to get sit reps in common. To brief your crew in that period is pretty intense and it's pretty hard and it's nylon impossible. So the start of a shift briefing is key. So everyone knows their roles, their responsibilities. Um, and the intensity of the jobs are just like, it's bang, bang, bang. You, you launch, you could be there in 10 seconds and you're, you're doing a snatch rescue. You've the snatch rescue done maybe within a minute and then you're into a full advanced life support scenario. So you can sit in every cup of tea and you're gone. Yeah. Wow. But it's, it, it's, you know, we don't get everyone. Um, we can't rescue everyone. So there's, right. I remember it was one day, uh, it was a summer's evening. It was August. It was a lovely evening. And we had just taken over on nights. And uh, we're sitting around the mess table having some dinner. And as usual, I was last to sit down because I was cooking. And, uh, <laughs> as and I remember usual, sitting, uh, that's funny. Honestly, <laughs> yeah. 
Radar, <laughs> are you done cooking yet? <laughs> Literally, but honestly. <laughs> and I, I remember sitting, put my food down on the table and I, I always sit looking out the window because it's something engraved into me. If I'm looking out the window, I'm maintaining a watch and I can see what's happening around me. And I looked across the river to the south bank, which is 250 meters away. And I could see someone in the river. I'm like, he passes them binos. And I've got the binos. And I went, let's go. There's someone in. But we didn't know if they're in the water swimming, having a laugh. No idea. Absolutely no idea. Anyway, we scrambled and we shot across. So from the minute, you know, I noticed him in the river to get in there, we're talking 40 seconds. We were about four meters away. Disappeared. Gone. Wow. Gone. I mean, gone. Now I seen him. I had visual with him the whole way across, transiting across the river. And when we got there, we're four, he just disappeared. And we never seen him since. Oh, wow. So that is the sort of intensity that I was within sight of the station. We, we witnessed, well, we didn't witness him going in, but we witnessed him very close to the point of entry. And within 60 seconds, he had drowned. So oh, we, don't, we don't know the back, yeah, so we don't know the background story behind that. Which was hardly even a job because we weren't tasked. We just self-allocated to go and get this guy from the river. And then that obviously ended up into a multi-agency search, which we searched for about nylon sort of three hours. Um, obviously it was a fall, it was a going, it was a falling tide. So we thought, right, search conditions are good. You know, maybe late in the forge then. But yeah, never to this day, hasn't been found. Oh, so that's the sort yeah. of, I, I, they say it's very cliche. Um, they say you know, every second counts and I, can, I don't agree with that I don't like that saying because I think it, it leads to a lot of errors it leads to a lot of accident, accidents that increases risk yeah. to everyone around you but I can honestly say every second does count when you're when you're operating within that title 10 section it's it is it's intense I don't you know of anywhere else that has like a 90 second response time to get underway mm. or, or anything and i i can't so disclaimer i was not on a small boat unit in the coast guard i've never mm. been responded on a boat in the coast guard or anything like that i my life has been helicopters for over 20 years so for us we're looking at like 15 minutes or uh 30 mm. minutes at night and, and that is if everything goes according to plan when you start up or you don't need fuel or whatever mm. So there's always yeah. contingencies to that, but it's like, hey, let's get to the aircraft. Let's get fired up in that timeline. 90 yeah. seconds to get underway. And then you're you're at location less than a minute Within. later. Yeah. <laughs> wow. And like, like Jason, we're talking, this is London. So we're on scene to everything. We're on scene to terrorist-related incidents. We're on scene to firearms incidents. We've been sent to stabbings. We've we've gone barreling into all sorts now everything's been triaged effectively it's yeah. been triaged as in by the coast guard to say if this is safe for a search and rescue asset to go to but whenever we arrive it's a completely different story that's not as given oh, yeah. that's kind of common across the board it, you know <laughs> yeah that's it that's in everybody's yeah. world across the world 
this is the brief. Yeah, you show up. Ah, oh, this day. Yeah, yeah. Not exactly accurate. <laughs> yeah. What's the brief? Yeah, turn it on its head. That's what yeah. we're going to. Yeah. yeah. Okay. I I got well, an that, idea that... as to what we're going to. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I to be honest, I'm sort of one of these where unless it's a person in the water, um, take everything, especially in London, slow it down a lot. Yeah. So if you're not, if it's not a confirmed person in, take your time because it could be a terrorist related incident. We could be going straight into the hot zone of a major incident. We don't even know it. And we're putting the boat and all the crew at an extreme risk. So therefore, you know, you've got, we've got two settings. We've got rescue setting and then we've got response setting. Yeah. Effectively, there, there's no point. There really is no point. There's no immediate threat to life. I don't, if I'm not gone in 90 seconds, I'm not worried. There's no immediate threat. Let's just take our time. Let's just have a quick brief before we go. But if it's a confirmed person in, it's all hands to the pump. Go. Wow. <laughs> That's like, crazy. I've, I've, I think I've sent you some of the videos, haven't I? So this it yeah. sort of gave you a bit of a an idea of some of the stuff. Um, well, and in some of the I, videos that you sent me, like you guys come up and, and you see people that that are face down in the water, and all of a sudden, like you guys are jumping off the boat to grab them to, to then be pulling people in the boat. CPR yeah. started or whatever, if 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 the uh, situation dictates, you know. But it's Absolutely. it was yeah, yeah. uh it was cool to watch because you guys are ripping up the river, what? and then yeah, yeah, and yeah. then diving in the water and then pulling guys out, I'm like yeah. oh my god. <laughs> So, yeah so obviously the that boat that you've seen that's a it's an e-class lifeboat um so that boat has been designed um especially for that area of operation you won't get that boat anywhere else in the world or across the organization so it's built for speed it's built for maneuverability it's built um, for air draft to get in under wharfs to get in under piers and it's built to have mass casualty and it's built to treat unconscious patients. That's the sole philosophy of the boat. And that's what it's designed to do. You wow. put it in any other setting, it's not that good. You put it on the River <laughs> Thames, it's perfect. So it's um, it's a twin jet boat. So um, twin 440 um, Volvo Penta D6 engines, um, supercharged and turbocharged. Um, she'll punch, punch tide. And we'll sit easily at sort of 45 knots. Running with the tide, I've had it at 50, 52. I've 50, done 52 knots. knots going through the Thames Barrier. 52 knots going through the Thames Barrier. Yeah, that was a oh bit of a claim to fame. Yeah. yeah. Dude, you are ripping. Yeah, yeah, mate, it's quick. Yeah, it's quick. And if you think about it, you know, um, it's a we're going down the Thames um, in a summer's day. It's a bit like Venice. There's boats everywhere. There's canoeists, there's yachts. There's could be a naval ship. You've got all the river buses cutting across the river. So you're, it's a bit of a slalom course at times. So yeah, we're going quick, but like navigationally, as we're right, that boat's going there. I know that clipper, that Thames bus is going to be crossing to there. So I'm going to go around a stern. Right, I know that rib's going outbound, so I can take him to a starboard side. So having a good river awareness and traffic knowledge is key to get just to the location quick. Otherwise, if you went sort of, <clears throat> if you followed maritime sort of rules of the road, you'd be there all day. So you've got to have a good 
local working knowledge of the river um, to navigate there safely. I couldn't just put anyone on the boat and go drive down there. <laughs> it, just, it just wouldn't happen. So yeah. we all had to set um, a local knowledge exam sort of um, with the port authority. Um, so do you like the London black cab- cabbies do a knowledge of London? Do you know that? Oh, so they sit yeah, there and yeah, they yeah. do they sit drive there, they study the all the roads and they, all the locations. Yeah. So they, they have to yeah. know. Okay. So you guys do the so same we, thing on, on the water. For the river. Yeah. Wow. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. So it's pretty, it's pretty good. It's good fun. It's good fun. It took me two years to learn it effect, effective enough to be able to command the boat and put it that way. And that was everyday studying. Jeez, old man. Did, Probably more reflection on my learning work? ability, but yeah. well, that's because you slacked off in school going after. I know, it, you? <laughs> <laughs> you know, if if you had concentrated and, and followed your teachers, you're welcome, sweet I Melissa. Know, man. <laughs> I know, man. I know, I <laughs> know. Oh my gosh! Wow. So, I, how, does, how does that work, though? I mean, so are you in school learning ab- about the like all the navigation stuff or that's just, they, they hand you a couple maps, they hand you a couple. Um, so cards. it's, it's yeah. So charts and stuff. So we basically, you have to do, I think it's 58 days logged on the river. Okay. Right. 58 days signed off by the Harbor master. So he has seen you on the river, on a boat, learning that stretch of river. Okay. And then that makes you eligible to go and sit the exam. But if you did 58 days and sat the exam, you probably wouldn't even get through the front door. They would just be like, no chance. (laughs) (laughs) So they ask you everything from what buoy is that? What boy is that? What wharf is that? For all my American friends, that's buoy. Okay. (laughs) Buoy. Yeah, yeah. Buoy. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. You guys, (laughs) Ireland's got a boy. Yeah, it's a boy. boy. No, it's not a boy. It's a buoy. Ah, Absolutely. I did throw in buoy just before the uh, someone said. Ah, no, it's all right. Your, your <laughs> Irish came out. That's it. Yeah. yeah. Wait. Oh, so yeah. Uh, so they ask you everything. So how how many bridges? What arch? How many arches is there? What's the air draft of the arch at certain times of the tide? What vessels would be operating in this area? What's the crossing movements? What's the name of the vessel? Um, how how many wharfs there is in the south side? What's the risks? What's the shoals? It, honestly, it's 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 really difficult, but really rewarding once you pass it. Really rewarding. Yeah. So that's pretty good. So pass that, and uh, yeah, from there, that sort of it gives you a good, it gives you like a bit of a golden ticket for the Thames, really, to be you to operate within it effectively. So yeah, yeah it's good fun. All right, so have you been one of the guys? And I I think out of your video, you were one of the guys that jumped <laughs> into the river to go pull a couple people out yeah i was both of them unfortunately yeah yeah <laughs> so um nice. there's one right, real, hold on real quick before you what do you what are you guys wearing for gear and equipment i imagine a dry suit yeah okay uh, so regular with, uh, dry... boots and, and then life jacket on top of that like standard PD, correct a pfd okay correct yeah so um uh it's a it's a pfd life jacket it's known as um a rescue jacket effectively scores 180 newtons of inherent buoyancy and then you can activate the toggle and then it will be um a life jacket um but it's uh like so it's manual activation 
yeah, it's my oh, okay. activation. All right. Okay, okay. Um, that, along with a, a gecko helmet, uh, dry suit with some thermals underneath and a pair of boots. Okay. So that's what will conduct a sort of um, a traditional rescue. But if you've got a snatch rescue, just go, just get in. Um, the, both that you've seen, the videos that I sent you, I was in um, dry suit and PFD. So I had the rescue kit on effectively. Um, so yeah, that one. So a side note question. Mm -hmm. You have 90 seconds to get underway. And if you're throwing on gear, like, are you set up kind of like the firefighters where they're boots and stuff? You just jump in and pull it up and whoop, zip up and go. Yep. Yeah. Nice. Yeah, we just <laughs> got no, awesome. we just we just haven't got a pole though. <laughs> That's okay. That's okay. <laughs> Everything minus the pole. We've got the moaning. We've got the excessive tea drinking. And we've got the really bad jokes. So yeah. You know, maybe you can create there. a water slide that goes down to the boat. I'm just saying, like, yeah. You know, Honestly. Or right. maybe but, a slip and slide. You just jump on, if slide we'd... over to the boat. <laughs> We had half a chance to design the station, I'll tell you. It would resemble nothing like a sour base, I can tell you that now. <laughs> oh, um, okay, that's good to know, good to know. All right. Oh, Matt, we're getting a new station, so uh, whenever it's in situ and you're in, when you come across, we'll, uh, I'll take you and give you the, the grand tour. Oh, yeah, heck yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, we'll Absolutely. go. We'll go. I'll, you know what? I'll jump in the water. You guys could save me. I'll, hey! I'll, I'll take you out in the. I'll take you out in the boat for the day. Oh, there we go. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so this this um this next sort of um rescue. Uh, bearing in mind, it was the seventeenth of March. Does that ring any bells with you? Sounds like uh, St. Patty's Day. Yeah. Hey! <laughs> so. I was, uh, we were on a, we were on a night shift on the 16th into the 17th and we were finishing at sort of 7 a.m. on St. Patrick's morning. So obviously um, the night before we were out doing a bit of training, doing a bit of uh, pacing with other boats and stuff like that. And I, lo and behold, found a party boat that was sponsored by Guinness. So I was like, yep, hello, how are we doing? We'll be doing an exercise with you. Thank you very much. <laughs> so we've paced alongside and everyone's like, oh, look, there's a lifeboat and that's all very cool and whatever. I'm like, give me free gear. Like, what you got? <laughs> so they're, they're like throwing rugby balls at us and throwing hats and stuff. So I'm like, magpie. I'm like, yes, have all that stuff, all that. And there you go. But we had, we managed to get me a Guinness. <laughs> Oh, I didn't mind, honestly. <laughs> you got away with it. I'm on duty. I'm not on duty. No, no drinking and boat driving. <laughs> <laughs> they do the non-alcoholic now, so if that, if, if that was on the go at the time, we would have been all over that. But um, so we got no, these hats. Have. Don't don't be bullshitting everybody on it. Uh, no comments. <laughs> uh -huh. Uh -huh. <laughs> oh, that's great. Uh, <laughs> so we got anyway, we got um got a couple of hats, and I was like, "This is great. We are keeping these hats." I was like, "Let's let's dress the boat up for Patrick's Day." So the day crew coming on, they can have a bit of a laugh and a joke. Oh, look, the Irish man's dressed up the lifeboat in London for Paddy's Day. Of course he has. <laughs> so I've got these like leprechaun hats off this boat, and I've yanked them on every jockey seat that I could see and we had them over the top of our helmets just having a bit of a giggle with it really so that was fine anyway we went back to station and um, bunked down for the night and lo and behold 
Not a whistle. Not a single bleep on the radio. Not a single bell on the phone. That's great. Until sort of 6 a.m. Um, I remember vividly the fo- the red phone going uh, in the crew room. And we sleep in the crew room. So the commander sleeps beside the red phone. So they literally just rolls over, lifts the phone, takes the phone call. And uh, I remember, t- I'll never, always remember uh, the phone, the, the call. And he went, I'm not sure what I'm sending you to. And that's always a good start. But I'm sending you to the area of Woolwich. I was like, okay, Woolwich, got that. <laughs> just start making your way towards Woolwich. And I went, fine, put the phone down. So I started getting the crew up. And um, again, 90 seconds, uh, we had to be gone by and we were, we were launched pretty much on time. And everyone's like, what are we going to, Steve? So it was a lovely flat cam morning on there. I've never seen the river so still. The sun was starting to rise. It was quite low lying mist. It was beautiful. And we were just cruising down through the bridges. It was just absolutely lovely. And I went to the area of Woolwich. We don't know any more details at the minute. Um, everyone's like, very fine. And the next thing then, the radio sparks to life. And we could hear... Um, one of the Harbour Authority boats call up for an immediate. So we're like, oh, we've, we've got something here. What's going on? He went, yeah, we've located someone in the water. Um, unfortunately, they're inaccessible to us. They're underneath a pier um, and he's trapped. We were like, oh, right, okay. So everyone copied, yeah, fine, right. They start devising a plan. We knew where the pier was. It was underneath the ferry terminal. Um, and the ferry lays alongside the pier. So one end of the pier. And we were punching tide, so it was a flood tide. So, right, guys, immediate threat is if he's underneath the pier and it's a flood tide, if we lose him, he's going to go underneath that ferry. And it's ripping in on springs. So this is, it was pretty time critical here. We need to get here and get this individual out. <clears throat> so we thought, right, it's inaccessible by boat. Someone's going to have to get wet. So we did a bit of a con flab. Who wants to go? No one wants to go. I said, I'll, I'm happily, I'll happily go. So that's fine. So en route to the job, um, start getting rigged up. So we were in, we weren't in the dry suits at the time. We were just in the sort of salopettes jacket and a life jacket. And I, if I know I'm getting wet, I'm getting in a dry suit at least. And I want to get a PFD on because you can't conduct a rescue swim. You, you can't do anything um, in a life jacket. So get to the job. And there was a problem with the zip in the life jacket. So we booked up at scene and the, the police boat was there and the harbour boat was indicating in under the pier. I thought, oh, he's, he's sort of three metres inaccessible into the wharf and there was piles across and there was quite an unknown subsurface environment. We didn't know what we were going into. But he was clinging on to the pole and he was quite clearly exhausted, absolutely exhausted. So he's three meters underneath a pier, like holding on to the yeah. pylon that's holding the pier up. Yeah, correct. Yeah. Wow. Okay. And he's, he's not, you can quite clearly see, he's not making any attempt to self-rescue. He's not making any attempt to swim. He's He looks fatigued and he's just swim failure. He, he's, he's already had swim failure and he's just hanging on for dear life effectively. And the tide is absolutely honking through. It's honking through at this point about four and a half knots. And I remember booking up at scene, thinking, there he is. I'm happy. I can see him. I can't get this life jacket done. Up. I, can't, I couldn't get it done. I couldn't get the buckle done because basically one of the parts of the equipment failed effectively. So uh, Matt, who was um, helming the boat, 
put the boat into a position just in front of where he was effectively underneath the pier and we sort of rammed the boat in between two pilots just to basically wedge the boat so we didn't yeah. have to drive anymore yeah and we said keep uh, it real quick on. you keep that in gear right so you're absolutely when you when you get the the front of the boat into the the uh into the pylons you drive it forward so you're putting pressure into it to keep the boat stable in one area exactly okay so the tide I got can't you. sweep I got the you. stern yeah so so the boat is nice so we now effectively got a stable platform to work off and this happened, it sounds, I'm explaining it quite long duration, but this happened in a matter of six, seven seconds. It wasn't very long between booking up to getting the boats wedged in. Um, Jenny, one of the crew members, getting a throw bag to throw at the man to see if he would take it. And as I've kind of come round to Matt, who's just stopped driving the boat, has got a wedge on, Matt, can you buckle my life jacket up? And he buckled it up and I heard in the background, he's gone, he's gone under. And I'm thinking, oh no. So I've looked around and he's gone. And at that point, I've just, right, let's go. So I've made a safe entry. And I remember looking, thinking, right, if he's just gone in the last sort of three seconds, he's going to have drifted approximately maybe two, three meters in this direction, away from the pile towards the ferry that's berthed alongside that he's now about to get swept under. So I remember going in and I jumped in without a helmet, without my crouch straps done up. And without having burnt my suit, I thought I just had to get in. So, so I mean, by, uh, real quick, by burping a dry suit, for those that don't know, if you've got a rubber seal or whatnot, you actually have to pull the seal away from your neck or your wrist in order to let the excess air out. Because you enter and you turn into like a little balloon. It goes, whoop. Yeah. Because all the air goes from <laughs> the legs up into the up into the chest. So you burp it by pulling the seal away from the neck to to release any air that's on the inside. Okay, sorry, just want to help everybody. Yeah, good, great description, I like that, I'm gonna use that one. And uh, went in and I just remember vividly thinking, right, he's gone, got nothing to lose, just bury my arm below the surface and see how far I can reach and see if I've got him. And lo and behold, hit the jackpot. I got a hold of the mail underneath the surface. And I remember thinking, I've got him, I've got him. What did I do now? <laughs> Because I, th I remember thinking, I, I'm rolling now onto my back because I've got the, the air in the suit starting to basically hinder the rescue. And I think I got his hair. It was either hair or the back of his collar. And I remember just giving it as hard as I could and just give him a sort of pull towards the surface. And it just slipped out of my hands. And I'm thinking, I've lost him. I've lost him. And I've gone for a second time and he's just popped up. I thought, right, he, he's, he was relatively conscious so just at that point i didn't care i was like you are going nowhere my son and i just sort of locked him in a bit of a headlock and just i remember looking thinking i'm now getting swept away from the boat and i'm now heading towards that ferry i, I don't like this <laughs> how are we going to get out of this i remember looking for the throw bag that jenny had thrown and it was just it was gone it was actually it was heading towards the ferry it was halfway there already and i remember thinking right for these guys to take the boat out to reposition down and play goalkeeper to us is going to be nylon impossible. It's going to take a serious amount of like teamwork communication that we haven't got um, because I've got no comm system. I've got absolutely nothing on me. And if we head towards the ferry, we're both going under it and we'll both probably drown. <laughs> or at least I'm going to have to either sacrifice him or sacrifice myself. Someone's going to have Something's going to happen. Anyway, um, out of nowhere, this huge pole, which turned out to be a boat hook, 
joined together, another uh, appeared in front of me, and I've swam towards this pole, the boat hook, and managed to grab hold of it with one hand on him, one hand on the boat hook, and with that managed to swim against the flow back to the boat, and then um, we retrieved him back into the boat, and then retrieved himself back in, and yeah, <laughs> it's pretty, it was pretty carnage, yeah, and it was a what, but. but yeah, so as you can see from the video, from probably booking on scene to having the rescue conducted and back on board, we're talking 40 seconds. We're not talking long at all. You know, and... <laughs> oh, my gosh! Yeah, it was, it was good fun. But it was great. Like, it was a massive team effort. Like, everything. All the ducks came into a line. Everyone was switched on. Everyone knew exactly the severity of what we were dealing with. And everyone knew the risk that we had just taken to rescue someone and now the risk that we're in as a crew to get this patient safely back to the boat. So everyone just knuckled down, followed their SOPs. There's some great CRM. The, the communication was phenomenal. The teamwork was outstanding. And yeah, we conducted it safely as could be. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and, yeah, yeah. Uh, so yeah, he, he survived. He was in a, he was in significant respiratory distress post rescue, but um, we dealt with that. We treated that, and we passed him on to further care. And as far as we're aware, he made a, a full recovery. So yeah. yeah, as far as they come, talk about a lucky dip, eh? Wow. Yeah, yeah it was pretty Jeez, cool. Oh man, dude, that's sick. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it's. Like afterwards, obviously, I'll send you a picture because what's the first thing I did was put the leprechaun hat on, obviously. Because <laughs> it was it St. Was Patrick's Day, wasn't it? And of the boat course. Was still... Got to. The police are looking at us going, who the hell is this coming? Like, what, what's all this about? <laughs> you know what? He just had the lucky the Irish rescue him. What? Literally, that's what everyone's in. Like, look at the Irish, right? Look at the Irish on Paddy's Day. Oh, and I obviously went back to station, did the necessaries, debriefing, reporting, image right. capturing, and then went and had like 10 pints, but was violently sick for days afterwards. And it wasn't the 10 pints. It was definitely the mouthful of Thames water. Yeah. <laughs> oh. it was, I was unwell for a very long time after it. Yeah. Well, when you're drinking some of that yeah. water. Yeah, no. No, no, yeah, no. Not good. Was not, not good. good. Was not. Was not good. I can reassure you that. Um, but I think you see for, for us a lot of people say why do we video everything why do we capture so much imagery and for me the only reason I capture it is to to learn and share yeah um, I'm very I'm one of the most self-critical individuals I've I'm, I'm terrible I'm so I know I'm hard on myself sometimes too hard on myself but that's because I'm only trying to make it better and safer and to make sure no one else has the same errors that i've made and to just to perform a more effective safer service um and we've learned so much from capturing these images from these snatch rescues it's it's adopted um protocols and practices and it's managed to change standard operating procedures or local operating procedures yeah um and it, it it's it's a massive help and you know you don't do a snatch rescue now you don't do many in your career really yeah. You know, you do, everyone does a lot of talking about it and this is what you do and et cetera, et cetera. But to actually do it and to recognize it and go, 
this this is the time we need to do something now and to actually go and do it and not have to worry about and just forget about the politics and everything that will go with it but to give people confidence to say look this was what we saw when we rocked up this is what went wrong or this is what could have been improved and this is what we did and this was the outcome yeah yeah good debrief yeah that and it will cognitively put people in a position whereby they will visualize stuff moving forward in their practice yeah Yeah. that will help them make decisions under pressure very much so uh and actually so you know there's a lot of people it's a great discussion as far as going back and forth about you know getting video um you know recording stuff i personally am for it and i'm for it for the same reason you are i like to criticize myself and, and i'm not at this stage in the game and i've been doing this for 20 years if i make a mistake i want to know about it you know and i still make yeah, mistakes same. you know like a, a communication mistake or you know a, a conning mistake it, it like mm. i'm human at the same time you know i want to be able to if i make the mistake here I, this is where i made a mistake you can avoid doing this by doing yeah. this this and this so absolutely I'm, I'm for it i know a lot of people are against it like, i don't want any of my stuff being videoed i don't want you know mm. but there's a difference yeah. between you know and, and one of the guys that came on here said it's there's a difference between that sucks and you suck like exactly. don't put the you suck in there do the that sucked how do we make it better completely so. i completely agree that's a great analogy really good analogy it's and not I'll, mine I'll... i <laughs> I can't take credit. Take it. Just take the credit, man. Take the guy away. (laughs) (laughs) I know posts of that. There's a couple of rescues that we'll go and talk about now. But these, these, I I sat there and presented them to the crew. So to the 10 staff members and to the 50 crew, I sat there and went, I made errors. These were the errors. Please take something from this. And yeah, some people sat there and went, what were you thinking? And I was like, I don't know, but look, that's why we're sat here now and we're talking about it. Yeah. You know, and that's, that's really key, really key. Yeah. So, wow, man. so that, that was, that was the, that was the, the famous Woolwich St. Patrick's Day. Look at the Irish rescue. Yeah. yeah. yeah I love it, man. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I remember there's, um, soon after that, actually, there's um because obviously they organize a charity, so it's a non-profit organization. All the money that we um that the kind donators and supporters that give the charity, it it goes into the the service delivery and the running of the organization. They do a lot of obviously operational rescues, but we've got a massive like water safety campaign and um drone prevention strategies, etc. And um to, to do all that they need to fundraise and and in london um obviously people don't even know that there's a lifeboat service in london lifeboats traditionally are found on the coast and right. found offshore and there's like every good story it's a dark stormy night but <laughs> these stories rarely start it was a busy saturday night in london's soho the lifeboat's gonna be busy <laughs> it doesn't really go like that does it, it doesn't sound quite no no same. usually it doesn't sound yeah. Yeah, nearly as good. Like, ah, oh, no. all right. <laughs> Until you're in the middle of it, you're going, oh, my God. Um, so, yeah, so in London, they do what's known as London Lifeboat Day. 
and it's a day whereby um, everyone goes out and they bucket, shake buckets or they collect money for the lifeboats in London at various tube stations or outside, excuse me, St. Paul's Cathedral, all the famous landmarks to raise awareness. Great, like, great day, really good day. And like everyone who goes out and helps support us is just phenomenal. We, the service could not be done without them. And uh, there's one day, it was London Lifeboat Day, and we were on duty. Um, I was on days with a team, there's three of us, um, three of my really good friends. And you know when you start, you start your morning and you start your brief. Obviously, the first thing you do before you take over is you make a, you make a wet or a cup of tea. And we're sat there and I'm just about to start the brief. Bells drop, right? No brief, we're off. And I think we did three back-to-back taskings within the space of like two hours Holy and we never got we never got the the daily checks done we never got a proper brief done we briefed when we were out there we briefed on our way back um more importantly we never had any scran we never had any food down our necks so we were absolutely starving and it was quite a it's it's a day that i'll never ever forget for all the right and for some of the most wrong reasons ever but it it turned out in total that day we did 13 taskings in the day shift so worked out to just over a task in every hour um and because it was london lifeboat day we had loads of media attention on the thames itself we had media attention on the station we had tv crews wanting to video us interview us etc and you know, a bit of a puppet and strings, yeah, jump up and yeah. down and do all this sort of stuff for us. But we were so operationally maxed out before 10 o'clock in the morning. We were like, we don't want anyone near us. Like, we just need to be left alone to to maintain our own safety effectively. And, you know, it's that Swiss cheese effect, isn't it? All the slices add up and it leads to an incident or an error. So we were quite acutely aware of that and we needed to manage that as best we could on the day. And we got back and we had about a half an hour, managed to get some, some scoffing and sat there and the phone goes and I'll know, I've always remember it. The Coast Guard on the day um, was a guy called Dave and we know the Coast Guard controllers, the maritime operations officers as they're called, we know them quite well. We socialize with them. We're, we're friends with these guys. And do you know exactly like, you know, I think I'm listening to Sid, um, Grant's podcast yeah, recently, yeah. and he said, knew, yeah. knew the tone in someone's voice that he spoke about with air traffic control. Right. Uh, I had that from Dave, and I don't know what it was. He's went Tower Bridge person in. That's all he said. And it, you never get Tower Bridge person in. It'd be Tower Bridge person in the water. Person, in. he's trying to cut his calm short. He's maxed out. He he he's under P. So we had changed from a red phone to a speaker phone at the time and everyone heard it. And Dave, the other commander who's on looked at me and went, something's not right here. And I went, something's definitely not right. But anyway, we were gone. It was a slip. It's so wild. It, hold on. It's yeah. so wild. Cause you, the, the little, the little different, it's, it's all of a sudden not standard and it throws something exactly. off and you're like, exactly. That, that yeah. simple of instead of person in the water, person in. Oh yeah. Like it, yeah red flag what exactly exactly <laughs> but for me i'm like that we need to be acutely aware that we 
better not get maxed out here. We need to control our bandwidth. We need to control our emotions, but we need to get there quickly at the same time. And I remember it was perfect. The launch was honestly so slick. I remember there's a camera crew videoing us and it wasn't because they were videoing us. It's just, I remember getting on, firing up the two engines, start one good, start two good, in gear, revs coming on, pressures you're building. By that point, I looked around, all the lines were gone, were gone. It was absolutely brilliant. Come round and we're shooting down river and you know, we're gone and we haven't even got the comm system fired up. So we're still inputting the, the lock codes to the airwave radios. The VHFs are firing up. The minute the comms come on, all I hear is pan, 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 pans are going out. I'm like, yeah, something's going off. And uh, I remember clearing London Bridge um, outbound. And so Tower Bridge is in front of us and HMS Belfast is to the south of the warship. And the immediate come through tower lifeboat immediate and it was the coast guard and they're like yeah two people in the water two people in the water south of tower bridge just down river the bridge two people in and it was just it roger that's all he got back and i'm heading towards i can see compass on clearing the stern of the belfast now i'm absolutely 50 now i'm flat to given the engines run 100 percent, and the guys are briefed they know exactly what we're going to. Two people in, that's all that matters. They're gloving up, getting ready to do a, a recover or rest. And I remember saying to them, guys, we've got two, one struggling. Someone just get in and grab them if there's swim failure. Just grab them and we'll we'll get it, get a hold of them. And I remember clearing, clearing the Belfast and I could see two, clearly two people in the water and they're struggling, they're splashing. And all you can see is the, the normal distressed drowner, yeah. classic drowner. And I'm going, I'm like, right, we've got two, but they're a good, they're a good six meters away from each other. Who's going, who do we go for first? I need to get there. I need to slow down and assess it. So I remember saying, get flotation ready, guys. Like if you have to take your life jacket off and throw it to them, just get some sort of flotation device to one of them. And we were about, I reckon about eight to 10 meters away, Jason. And one of them just disappeared. Gone. Just the, 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 the splashing just stopped. And I remember thinking, oh no, oh no. And then I remember looking at the other person and they, they were swimming, they were able to tread water. They were fine and they had a Perry boy with them. So I remember going, right, they've got a Perry boy, they've got a flotation. They're drifting down river. There's no immediate snatches. There's no immediate snags. There's no immediate risk to them. We will get them. Let me just go to where say number one was and we went to that last same position and it was it's by far the worst job of my life i turned up and found a school bag and a school blazer floating in the water and i remember looking going oh i looked and directly in line with set adrift was a, a vessel with you know the classic paddle steam steamers yeah yeah so i remember thinking right I need to get there and I need to eliminate that as a snag because someone could be clinging on to that. And I remember going to that location and nothing was there. There was no one there. Whoever that was had just disappeared and dried. And we retrieved the bag. We retrieved the school bag and the blazer. Um, and that was fine. But prior to that, we had already got the lady on board the boat. Was the other lady the that was that had the flotation was, going down yeah. river. Okay. So I went here and said, but I must go on. 
and she went, uh, someone's jumped off the bridge, someone's jumped off the bridge and I tried to help them. I was like, right, okay. And she went, I, th- I think it was a schoolboy. I think it was a schoolboy. And what it turned out to be, Jason, was someone on the bridge. So uh, someone going to school. I got off the bus as the bus stopped and just jumped off the bridge. Turned out to be a pediatric. Oh, my and gosh. Yeah, so it was pretty, it was tough. It was really, really tough considering we were meters away, literally meters away and just in front of our eyes, just gone. Um, and obviously she was distressed we were then immediately we were into right search formations getting more assets getting aerial assets getting as much resources there as we can to start conducting a search and search pattern and building it up look we like we we searched for days absolutely six days in total we searched for we didn't stop every change of the tide we were out searching for hours and hours and hours and unfortunately, that you know the kid, the kid drowned and we say perished. Um, God rest their soul. But yeah, it was it was just an absolutely mental day. And from that, um, we did a further. I think it was like seven or eight taskings after that. You know, and it was back to back. So we'd tip out. We'd be mid search. We'd be mid river doing a you know a line of breast search and to our lifeboat peel off. We got another person in the water up river. We're shooting off there would get someone out and i think where's one of them it was towards the tail end of the day and it was just just to round the day off really um it was a, a traumatic cardiac arrest um so it was someone come off um one of the bridges so we're talking an air draft of 60 feet and had landed head first on the concrete foundations and was now in the river and that was pitch up again so obviously emotionally we're pretty we're pretty maxed out at this point we're we're, we're pretty exhausted you know yeah. we're, we're, we're running low on fuel the boat and we've used everything we've been searching for hours we're cognitively just exhausted our bandwidth's gone and now all of a sudden we've got a traumatic cardiac arrest to deal with um yeah and like as a crew you know we we did it we, we did an incredible job. We never got an output. We never got a return of spontaneous search. We never got a raw. Um, a relatively um, good fighting chance of survival, you know, mortality rate too high when it comes to stuff like that. So, right. yeah, and that was, that was London Life Day. It was 13 taskings. So that just gives you a sort of, not it's not 13, a standard day. 13, 13 taskings. In and one that day. Included, that included the... The, the, the pediatric and that included the traumatic cardiac arrest, the number of searches, um, a couple of medivacs off boats, like one of them was made of an anaphylaxis of a, a, a tourist. Yeah, like if you sat down and wrote a book, people would be like, yeah, yeah, that's yeah, that's not, it's hardly, it's, it's barely believable. But unless you're there, it's we're effectively an ambulance of the Thames and we're in central London and we get sent to everything. Wow. So, yeah. So that was one of the days I kind of will always vividly remember. And I learned like, learning from that, some of the lessons that I've taken for, you know, regards mental health within our own crew, you know, well-being whilst on these taskings and, you know, the, the improvements that we could have did to CRM on the day and the searches that were done and the, 
the added unnecessary stress factors that were presented to us that we could have eliminated and dealt with a bit better. And, you know, I, t- I took at least three months to debrief myself from that single day to wow. sit down, write down the learning that I took personally. And I could share to the crew, share to the guys, see what they thought, see how they felt. Um, yeah, and it was... It was, it was madness. <laughs> so I can describe it was absolutely madness, man. Yeah. Holy yeah. God. So that's a, yeah. So you just never know. Like you could turn up for days, like, you know, it's like you could turn up on base and not turn a wheel for 12 hours. But you could turn up and just be maxed out all day. Yeah. Jeez, oh man. Yeah. But it's, wow. quite, it's quite a strange mindset because you switch constantly. I know it's like, I've listened to a lot of your, you know, rescue swimmers and winter paramedics you know you switch don't you? you go from like rescue operator to paramedic into aviator to yeah. whatever it may be and we do the same thing on the boat so you're switching from commander you're switching into a paramedic you're switching back into a mechanic you might have an engine alarm going off you're switching back into a navigation mode so you're constantly you're you're five different roles and you're just going bang, yeah bang, 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 bang. so it's and keeping everything compartmentalized and right where it needs Absolutely. to be. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my God. And then gosh. you've just got, yeah. Yeah. So it's quite good. So we work quite closely. So luckily, the Thames is quite resource heavy. So we've got the Metropolitan um, Police Service, the Met Police. They've got a fleet of high speed um, police boats. So Targas, as they are. Um, and they've also got a fleet of assault ribs um where they carry like firearms officers and stuff so it's they're yeah they're they're tasty um so we work quite closely with them we have them they're on most of our taskings to support you know the SAR services and support SAR operation and then we've also got the London Fire Brigade um they have got two rescue boats but they're more a firefighting platform okay so they're sort of they're suboptimal to rescuing people from the water but they're a very good asset to have for a search. So they're good, safe, solid, high freeboard. So really good for searching. Um, so we've got them as well. Um, we work quite closely with MPAS. So we don't really get um, Bristol helicopters or the UK Coast Guard um, rotary services. We normally get uh, MPAS, the National Police Air Support um, okay. in London, because they're doing a lot of the crime stuff. So for them, it's 30 second divert, bang, they're on scene in the river and we've got a flare, we've got eyes in the sky. Um, yeah, so we've got the fire brigade. They've got a drone team as well, so they can get they have a drone, drone team as well. Yeah, 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 yeah. Jeez, it's quite cool. You guys have some assets. I like that. Yeah. Wow. So, but like, we've got all the assets and we've got all the toys, but they're pointless if you're not there in time. Right. Oh, totally. Do you know what I mean? So it's like it's great, but ultimately the the core foundations of rescue, i.e., to ensure preservation of life is to get a boat and a person there safely effectively and to the right skill set and capability and competency really so yeah you got it all falls back to basics at the end of the day yeah yeah dude these stories yeah. are sick <laughs> i don't know about that but yeah so uh, that was cool and then I, we had um i think i sent you the one of um embankment pier um i think again so. yeah again this was um 
I, I'm going to have to mention her name. And she won't mind me mentioning her name. Her name's Hannah, Hannah Liptrot. She was on board that day. And what she did was like, it was unreal. It was absolutely unreal. I'll get, I'll get into it now. But like, this job had a completely different outcome if she wasn't, um, she wasn't there. So we, <laughs> me and um, me and the other gentleman were sat in the office, sitting on the computer as you do. I think I was doing like a return of service or whatever. And we on the station, we maintain a listening watch on channel one four, so channel 14, and that's the vessel traffic services. So for that section of river that we operate between Barking Creek and Putney, um, you got all the boats, so you got passing agreements, they're all chit-chatting away, you go in there, come on away here, da 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 da, da. And it's quite it it does not stop. Well, I mean it doesn't it's stop, it just doesn't stop. It's all the time, every day. Yeah. And then every 15 minutes, you get a broad, a river broadcast. So that's fine. Um, but, you know, you're subconscious listening to it, aren't you? So you, you could be having a conversation like we are now. And the radio's going in the background, but you're listening to it. But you're not listening to it. So you're just subconsciously it's just sitting there. And I remember hearing a vessel call up with a distinct higher pitched tone. And I never, to this day, I don't know what he said, but it was enough for me, our ears, me and the other guy, to perk up and listen. And we heard person in the water and we heard embankment and we went well that's there we can see it from the window scramble alarm let's go everyone goes so the coast guard wasn't even aware they hadn't even tasked us and we just started running to this location obviously when we launched etc we um we informed them look this is what's going on they're yeah. like yeah we heard it good launch good listening watch you know update me what you need <clears throat> fine not a problem he starts tipping out other assets, police, etc. And uh, we've got uh, one of the passenger ribs, so a high-speed rib that does tours up and down the river, and he's just pointing sort of towards the North Shore. And I'm trying to hail him on the, the radio, and I'm like, yeah, if you've got more information, what's the last known position? Is he still on the surface? And he wasn't, he wasn't responding to the radio. And then there's loads of people on the embankment pointing sort of towards the end of the pier and the wall, the embankment yeah. wall where people would walk along, Victoria Embankment. And the pier, it's round about sort of eight feet. It's not a big distance at all. They're sort of pointing down there. So we're right. We presume he's gone unconscious or he's still floating and he's he's gone down inside the pier. Um sort of whenever you enter, so it was a to put it in perspective, but the pier, you've got the embankment. And it's a right flood tide. Right next to each other, right? So like pier and right next, to, next each to each other. Okay. Yeah, and you've got a gangway that comes down. Okay. And then you've got you've got uh, about a four or five knot spring tide flowing in. So we have to go in bow first and stern to tide. So to maneuver the boat in there is extremely tricky. Yeah. And the more we, because it's a jet boat, we obviously suck water and we expel water through the jets. So we aerate the water. So therefore it's, um, it's aerated. So there's less performance of the boat as well. So to maneuver the boat's quite tricky. And also becomes less buoyant for people that may be in the water. Um, so we're approaching and we can see absolutely nothing. And we've kind of got about, I reckon, 40 feet from the edge of the pier, maybe a bit more 50 feet to the gangway. So we've, started entering and we're navigating quite slowly so i mean if we were two feet to the right we probably would have hit the concrete steps we could have breached the hull of the boat and we would have been in all sorts of trouble 
So um, Craig was helming the boat and he made a great, great bit of seamanship to get um, down into the location that was coming to the top of the tide, sort of. It's got a lot of disturbed river state and we're getting bounced about a bit. Um, so we had to drop the mast. So the boat, um, the foredeck space on the bow is quite large. So it's large enough to resource two people effect, like safely and effectively. So we've dropped the mast to get in underneath the gangway that's coming down. So we've dropped mast and we've gone in, still searching. Yeah, can't see anything, can't see anything. So I've looked and I'm like, I could see in the distance, a sort of, I don't even know how to describe it. It's sort of an abnormal break of the river sort of on the surface. And it just didn't really look right. I thought, right, this we could be on to something here. So I've ran back and we've, we've thrown the mast back up. So we've got the foredeck space free in case this is something. <clears throat> and um, we had a good close communication. So the whole time I'm talking, yet yeah, nothing, nothing. Good good sea state, nothing, no obstructions, whatever the commands that we were given at the time. And I went, uh, Craig, I think we've got something here. I'm not entirely sure. And I could, I remember looking at the river and you can't see anything. It's just, it's like looking at a bottle of Coke. And I could see a timberland boot. And this timberland boot was about three inches below the surface of the river. But it, it was like the heel of the boot and the sole of the boot. I thought that wouldn't be like that because the boot, if it was, wasn't was attached to anything, it'd be floating, the boot would float. Right. So I thought, Craig, we're onto something. Uh, just, this is sort of five seconds. I'm going to have to get wet because due to his position, I could see he was quite clearly head down, feet to the surface sinking. And as I've got in, lo and behold, got the boot, just put my arm down, followed his leg, caught his T-shirt and pulled him up. And at this point, we kind of had to have that, right, I've got him up, I've got him to the surface. I've got one hand on the boat. The boat's now still drifting in this confined space towards a load of power cables going across from the embankment wall to the pier and another brow. So I thought, right, this is going to end up with two ways. We're going to have to let this guy go and I'm going to have to stay with him in the water and try and drift through the power cables, which is suboptimal to say the least and come out the other side and rescue us on the far side, or we, tr Craig leaves the helm of the boat with Hannah. We try and rescue him into the boat we deal with there. So what we ended up doing was, this was like unbelievable what the guys did. They put the boat, so the embankment wall had a bit of an outcrop. So it was just a bit of a structural art effectively. Craig managed to put the bow of the boat into this bit of art at 90 degrees so basically a bit like a v-birth put the bow in ran ahead with a load of revs ran forward with hannah at that point i've still got the boat i've now got an embankment wall here and i've got an unconscious man in the water in my hands oh my god and we've three of us we've managed to pull get him retrieved back into the lifeboat and i'm in the water at this point i'm thinking right i'm pretty useless because i've now lost my boots one of my boots have come off due to the flow of the boat the revs of the engine and of see. so i'm now trying to swim so i'm now looking like a distressed seal in the water i look like a right idiot <laughs> and there's a guy unconscious in the bow of the boat and there's loads of people on looking loads so at this point um he's retrieved into the bow of the boat and the distance 
between the boat and the wall is now closing. So the boat's now getting set with the tide and I'm now about to get trapped between the boat and the wall. And I'm thinking, this is not good. And I remember saying to Craig, I'd still have the helmet come on. I could see the distance starting to close and he could see what was happening. And Hannah, bless her, unreal. Like this guy was 120 kg plus. He's a big bloke. Oh my goodness. And she, she stood over him, resussing him on her own. And she did not stop. She kept going. And I remember thinking, right, I'm in the water. Got a helmet on. But my comms box during the whole thing had popped off my life jacket and was stuck inside the boat. <laughs> so now I'm tethered by my helmet to the boat, but in the water. <laughs> thinking this is not oh going very God. well at all. There's a guy unconscious getting resisted by the boat. The, gap, the, the gap's now starting to close. And I'm thinking, right, I could get crushed here. So I thought, right, what's the best thing to do? I thought, right, I can undo my helmet, chuck the helmet off and swim, dive down and swim underneath the boat and pop out the other side and swim towards the pier where I could see there was, I knew there was a scramble net. I could scramble up the scramble net, get onto the pier and then get back onto the lifeboat. Um, so I thought, that's, that's plan B. <laughs> plan A is, Craig, get back on the, get back on the sticks of the boat maneuver the boat into a different position so I could make my way around to the stern and retrieve myself in. Um, and that's what he did. He, we just maneuvered the boat back out and um, I managed to make my way around to the stern of the boat, get myself back back on board. But during all that, I thought, right, I'm going to have to ditch my helmet. But before I ditch the helmet, I may as well send a message to the Coast Guard just to tell them what's going on. So I'm in the water, hanging <laughs> onto the boat. <laughs> He's maneuvering oh the boat. So I'm like, well, I was like, oh, I'm pretty useless here. So I may as well send a message because I knew it was on channel one, which was the ES3 or the, the network for the because like, Yeah, just let you know we're on. Um, yeah, we've retrieved one male CPR in progress. Can we have an order of all units to RV at the lifeboat station or whatever? And they were like, yeah, Roger. Little did he know I was in the water hanging on to the boat about to get crushed. It was quite amusing. But <laughs> the guy said, should you just send that message? I was like, yeah, yeah. May as well do something useful. So I got back on board and I remember like Hannah, like she was blowing out, like the two of them had done really well to get this guy in. Like I could not describe how challenging it was. And, uh, but we still had to get back out of where we were. So we put the boat into this position, precarious position, but we had to get, we had the stern fetch back out. So I went, Hannah, are you happy forward? And she was like, yeah, at this point we had to drop the mast back down. It was Craig started motoring back towards the pier. But by that point, I remember going back, grabbing the FRB, the response bag with the DFib, the oxygen and stuff. I got forward, I got down on my knees, did a, went to do a head tilt chin lift on this individual and he just opened his eyes. I remember, oh, thinking, yeah, hello, yeah. And I, ha Hannah was still recent, so I had just this whole fire in the compressions for a second and he just opened his eyes. And didn't know, obviously had a clue where he was or what was going on. He was just faced with an Irish bloke going, hello, <laughs> as he was soaking wet on a very noisy, shaky lifeboat. And um, yeah, Hannah, like single-handedly resussed this bloke. Um, he was brought back into the boat, pulseless, with no work of breathing. Um, as you can see, he was recovered from below the surface, lifeless, and like unbelievable job by Hannah on her own, regardless of what was going on, me in the water, me trying to get back on board. She did not 
divert from her, you know, just get on the chest and do compression only CPR. Just and she she saved his life. It was incredible. Wow. And he literally, I, I'm not he walked off the lifeboat. He didn't <laughs> we didn't stretch him off, he walked off on his own. On his own accord, he walked off. Kind of squeezed his chest a bit. Man, my chest really hurts. I know he's probably going, "Oh my god!" <laughs> she's I a crossfitter as well. <laughs> yeah, she's a crossfitter. It's like the crossfit kiss of life. <laughs> oh my yeah. gosh! Yeah, and he, he walked off the boat. Oh, oh, awesome! Yeah. Wow. Yeah. yeah, pretty intense. It was an intense job, and it it only lasted five minutes tops, I reckon. And uh, yeah, successful outcome. Yeah, mad. Yeah, Dude, that's awesome. <laughs> but like, it's it's just a credit to the team and yeah, a credit to everyone at that station that you know volunteers their time. You know, Hannah's a volunteer. She she doesn't have to be there. She's given up her own free time to be on that boat and to put herself at risk. Um, and she does it. You know, she does it day in day out, along with six thousand other people around the UK and Ireland. And that's just within the RLA you take the HM yeah. Coast Guard Rescue Services I'm on the the Romney Marsh Coast Guard Rescue Team best Coast Guard Rescue Team in the world but um, like you've got teams over in the UK wait way to name drop that yeah that's what absolutely yeah, yeah. it was like a little like, like just poke the bear right there with that one <laughs> nah, I'll just get a few heads turning they'll be alright and uh, but yeah like it's credit to all you know, search yeah. and rescue staff and volunteers around the, the the world. You know what I mean? Like what people do and what they put themselves through, and you know, they it's a, it's they choose to do it. And they do a great job. That's that's amazing. Um, yeah, mad props to to everybody that's out there that's doing that. And man, this is incredible. Man, I, I'm, yeah, yeah. Um, so you think about it from being fourteen to doing that. But <laughs> I didn't stop. I didn't give up. I'm still going. <laughs> Man, I love it. I, I love it. Yeah, yeah. it's good fun. It's good fun. It's sound like me. I want to go until I can't do it anymore. Literally can't do it anymore. Yeah. So, gosh, right now I, I live vicariously through everybody else as well, which is why I talk to you. But, Matt, you know, at the end of the day, when um, God himself grounds the U.S. Navy, you go out. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Jump live in the Guardian. I like that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I need uh, to. <laughs> that was good <laughs> oh my gosh alright so Stephen I'll tell you what man a couple of things is because you're you're actually in kind of a bit of aviation now so you've moved into or you're trying to get into or where are you at with that yeah. process because you're a winch operator now as well huh no no I'm not a winch operator no no I wish I was a winch operator uh, we're um, learning we're getting there Got we're, learning, we're getting there <laughs> Um, no, so obviously when I was when I took the job as a staff commander within the uh, the order line, um, so I still command there, um, but I don't get paid for it. Um, so about must be two years ago now, an opportunity came up um, to to fly effectively, um, to fly within the UK. It's 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 renowned, you know, unless you go down a specialist medical role as in a critical care paramedic or. You dedicate your time to the, the HEM services and you join the ambulance service full-time. It's sort of one avenue in. Um, but you've also got the Rotary Coast Guard service, um, which is predominantly sort of um, 
ex-military so it's that's how they get their air crew experience and get flying so it's sort of a route in but for me i hadn't got any of the aviation stuff um so an opportunity came up with a company in the the north sea okay um to a bit of a, a retrieval sort of paramedic role so going offshore and dealing with dealing with patients from oil and gas rigs um that are either infectious diseases from covid um, or we're now starting to deal with sort of more acute uh, medical complaints. So, um, so that's what I'm doing at the minute. So I do two weeks on, two weeks off. Um, so I fly on the S92 and, nice. the, Good platform. and the yeah, and the 189 or not the 189, sorry, 139. Yep. Um, so we operate at Aberdeen and at Norwich as well so in Very the cool. southeast of England so yeah so it's good fun so I'm obviously I'm still pushing to um to become a uh, a winter paramedic at some point so I'm not going to give up I'm not going to give up so I'll, I'll keep turning that screw so for me it was the first step into an aviation role um, beautiful so so it took that leap which was a big leap because it was it's a contract that I'm working on it's an unknown sort of finish time and sort of on a month-long basis etc but um right. Yeah, look, if you you got to risk something sometimes, and I still got all my friends in the lifeboat, and I still do it. You know, I'll leave here. I was, gonna, I was just going to um, ask that. Are you still doing the lifeboat when you're off? If you yeah, are, yeah, yeah. So I've got my finger in many pies. So I do, I do two weeks here um, in Aberdeen, and then when I'm at home, which is um, a small village in the southeast called Rye. Um, I volunteer from a, two Coast Guard rescue teams, so yeah. um, Rom, Romney Marsh Coast Guard Rescue Team and Rye Bay. So we got we're technical rescue service, so we do um, cliff rescue, mud, water, um, search teams on land, beaches. Um, so I'm on a pager for that. And then you have your your do, fingers in the pot of everything, don't you? Yeah, and then I've also got a a bank contract with the ambulance service so um so the national health service so the special operations team with them so when i was full-time with the ambulance service i did some sort of training with them that allows us to operate in different environments and i managed to keep oh, the yeah. skills and competencies going so not many days off jason not many days off but yeah. it, i i don't know if i want to ask you if you're married yet i <laughs> Oh my God! Don't go down that one. <laughs> I'll tell you after the podcast with that. Okay, one. that sounds good. Because I can tell you right now, if I was doing everything you were doing, my wife would be like, "I need a husband too." There, you muck. <laughs> that cracks overrated, uh, man. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'll tell you what, man. Um, one, let me tell you, I appreciate all the stories and everything you're doing now. This has been phenomenal. Uh, before I let you go, though. Man, any advice that you pass on? You know, most of the podcasts that have come on here, we don't we don't hear too much of the boat side of the world and, and whatnot. So what do you got? What do you got for everybody that's out there? So I think from you know 11 years I've been doing it now. It's not it's not certainly not 20 years, but in my short period of time doing this sort of stuff. Just for the record, I think 11 just... years is a long time too. That's well, a good bit of experience that can come with 11 years. Just, we all start somewhere. We all end somewhere. Somewhere in the I middle, know, we hit 11-ish years. Well done. Yeah, true. Very true. <laughs> um, I think it's key just to look out for one another, to be honest. You know, like we all operate, regardless of what sort of um, asset we're on, we're all there to achieve the one outcome. So we're there to preserve life and promote recovery. Um, 
I think everyone really, you know, we work very hard, both in our professional sort of capacity in the role. And then when we're sort of outside of that role, we need to, you know, look after ourselves, our own well-being, both physically and mentally. I think, you know, we live from the adrenaline of the red phone and, you know, it's knowing when to just switch it off you know yeah and that's a balance i'm still trying to strike yeah. <laughs> but you and me both. <laughs> <laughs> but it's you know just look out for your peers you know everyone um you know, all are our like i could trust any of them with my life i do frequently and daily and i like i think that's reciprocated um and to just you know when someone's not themselves give them the space, but just support them. You just never know what anyone's going through. Yeah. Um, and, you know, life's short. Life is short. And just be nice to people. That's not, that's not difficult, you know. Just be nice. Be happy. Right. Smile. And just enjoy every day. That's because you just don't know when it's swiped from beneath your feet. I love it, man. Man, I that's appreciate all. that. I'm not going to go Stop. into anything technical. This is just all about just being nice and having good fun. Dude, I love it. Steven, (laughs) I cannot thank you enough for coming on and just the the stories, the advice, man, it's been, it's been amazing. So thank you so, so much. Um, No, no, thank you. I'm calling you when I get to London, you know, and and then. Absolutely. Absolutely, man. We'll get you you down. We'll get you out in the boat. I might have to actually like, like coordinate my trip around your time off and you being there just so we can go have some fun. (laughs) <laughs> I might, I'll, I'll make sure that I'm off. I'll tell you yeah. that. I'll make sure. Do that. I need? Do I Absolutely. need to bring a dry suit? That's all I need to know. Do I need to pack a dry Nanny, suit? you'll be good. No? I'll dress okay. you up as a banana. You'll be all right. Ah, I'll dress you up as a banana and stick your hair with it. Yeah, don't worry. <laughs> I'll get you in on the. I'll get you the gear and everything. I'll even give you a t-shirt. Oh snap! <laughs> you know I'll give you one too. That, that'll work out. It'll work out together. Awesome. Well, when I see Brilliant, you there, man, man we'll we'll uh we'll dive in. We'll have some fun. All right. Mega. Absolutely mega. Sweet. look forward to it man i really look forward to it me too all right brother well i'll catch you later and with that ladies and gentlemen we are out of here thank you for tuning in we hope you enjoyed this episode of the real rescue podcast please take a minute to like subscribe and hit that share button i'm pulling chocks and taking off but before i go if anyone out there has a rescue story they would be willing to share I would be humbled and honored to have you on as a guest. Or if you have any questions about rescue or anything else we talk about here, send an email to jason at therealrescue.com. That's jason at T-H-E-R-E-A-L-R-E-S-Q.com. You can also check us out on our web pages, therealrescue.com, our Facebook page, and our Instagram page at The Real Rescue. Again, a special thank you to all of you standing on the watch today. Always remember, when that star alarm goes off, those in distress are praying for a miracle. They are going to get you. Until next time, fly safe and swim hard.